Eschaton. Hello and welcome back to Eschaton, your deep dive into the last days. My name is Sam Liebke and I will be your host as we do this study. If you're paying attention, this is actually going to be episode number 10, I believe. If I was paying attention, I would know. Uh, let me double check here. Yeah, this should be episode number 10. And this is actually, the last episode was number 9 where we talked about the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation, that was Matthew 24, 15 to 22. This week we're going to be going into another section about false Christs and false prophets from Matthew 24, verses 23 to 28. So if you want to turn there with me, and we'll look at this passage starting in Matthew 24, verse 23. This is our fourth section here as we're going through all of these sections in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. And uh, we've got a couple more sections. We've got the false Christs and false wit prophets. Section five will be the return of Jesus Christ. Then section six is the parable of the fig tree. And then we get into some other stuff as well. So I appreciate you guys joining me and keeping up with this podcast. There's, if you haven't listened from the beginning, I highly encourage you to go back the first passage we studied was the book of Acts, chapter 1. And really, if nothing else, that's a great place to start because it sets the stage when Jesus Christ actually left this earth physically, what he alluded to, and what he talked about, about his return through his angels. So that's a great place to start talking about the last time that anyone saw Jesus physically on the earth, and then him already at that point in time was sending forth the message about his return. Let's start, though, in this section about more false Christs and false prophets in Matthew 24, verse number 23. The scripture says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together." All right, so starting back in verse number 23, we're going to go verse by verse on this one just so we understand what's going on here. He says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. This believe it not, he's talking about these depictions of the return of Christ throughout Scripture never require announcement to be perceived, right? So Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Revelation 1, verse number 7, he says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. So when Jesus comes back, anytime he's depicted coming back in the scriptures, it's it's never like someone has to announce, hey, there's Jesus, by the way, so you don't miss him, there he is. No, it will be unquestionable. And, and the beginning of this passage starts with this, and then when we get to the end, we'll talk about it as well, that he is, this, this section in particular, Jesus is saying, when I come back, you will know. There will be no question in your mind, you won't be wondering, was this some kind of a UFO? Was this, you know, just lightning, ball lightning in the air. No, no, no. When Jesus appears in the sky and comes back for to, to begin the day of the Lord and to begin waging war against Satan and all of his minions and to rescue his saints and all that stuff starts happening all at the same time, when that happens, when Jesus shows up, everyone is going to know. We saw that in Revelation 1, verse 7. Let's jump back to Daniel, Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse number 13, I believe. 13 and 14. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came the Ancient of Daniel and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Here we see again, when he shows up, he's got the clouds of heaven. He's also, his dominion is everlasting, and it's all, it, it's all encompassing. All people, nations, and languages serve him. So no one's going to be left kind of off by the wayside, not serving the kingdom of heaven or not serving Jesus when he shows up. It's going to make sure everyone's going to know. Let's look at a couple more of these real quick. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 5. 
5. And this sets the tone really for this, this little section of Matthew 24. Isaiah 40, verse 5, is, is this concept of, believe it not, you know, when, when these, false, these false depictions of Jesus showing up uh, appear, don't believe them. You're not going to need somebody coming and giving you a message, you know, giving you a letter, showing up and telling you, hey, did you, did you realize that Jesus came back? No, you're not going to need that. Isaiah 40, verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And of course, the Lord there is all caps, which means it is our um, Old Testament word for Jehovah or Yahweh. It's, it's those, it's that Hebrew word. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And when the glory of God shows up, everyone is going to know. It will be unquestionable. This is also mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 through 12 in that description and Zechariah 12 verses 9 through 14. I won't read those for sake of time. So that's verse 23. Then in Matthew 24, verse number uh, 24, we see there shall arise false Christs. He says, for, so he's saying, if any, anybody tells you, here's Christ or there, don't believe it, because, why? In verse 24, there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. Now, this is after the section before this, where he was talking about the abomination of desolation. So either this is in tandem with the Antichrist beast system that's going on, or it is alongside of it. Either way, they're going on around the same time, and there's there's a connection here, you know, time-wise, and as, as these things happen in sequence that there's going to be false returns of Christ. There will be false uh, instances where the return of Christ supposedly has happened. For there shall rise false Christ and false prophets shall show great signs and wonders. All right, this, this, I love this. I think we mentioned it before in the earlier passage when he says, pseudo, pseudo Christos and pseudo prophetos, prophetes. <laughs> there, so these are pseudo Christs and pseudo prophets are the ones who show up and they're doing these, they're working these great signs and wonders. That word great is the, our Greek word megas or, you know, where we get the word mega, you know, obviously something that's very large or great, big, exceeding high, large, loud, or mighty. So these miracles, these signs and wonders, will not be a small thing. They will be very convincing. They will be very large. They will be bombastic, right? This is going to be an extremely, um, it, it's going to be overwhelming when this happens, when when they show up and they're, and they're depicting these things, they're trying to show as if, you know, Jesus had come back or as if they were Jesus, etc., or as if the beast was Jesus. Uh, that signs and wonders, the word for signs is Simeon. Simeon it means uh, miracle, token, or indication. And the word for wonders, teros, means prodigy or omen. So they're going to be giving miracles. They're going to be giving these tokens these spiritual things will be happening. They'll be, they'll be acting like as if Jesus had come back or as if they were Jesus or as if they were a prophet of Jesus, but they're not. And what's interesting is the last part of this phrase, and of course, everyone uses this and, and misquotes it and brings it out of context, but this is the context of this, of this verse, uh, of this phrasing, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect, is this idea of false Christs and false prophets. So the great signs and wonders that these false Christs and prophets are working is going to be so great, so convincing, that if it were possible for us, for one of the children of God, for someone who is sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is protected by the name of Jesus Christ, if it were possible for them to be deceived, then they would be deceived. Now, they, it's not possible because they are protected, but it's so convincing, even the very chosen of God would be convinced, but Christ warned us ahead of time. And that's what this whole passage is about. Christ has given us this information ahead of time. So when it shows up, we would not be deceived. We would say, oh yeah, this is these are those guys. There's a pseudo prophet. There's a pseudo, pseudo Christ, right? This is not the Messiah. That's not a prophet of God. And we're going to recognize them both through the discernment of the spirit, as well as from checking the fruit that they have in their life, as well as, you know, whether they adhere to the scriptures, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, John 4, 1, 1 John 4, 1, excuse me, you know, things like that. You'll be able to tell that these are not the true Christ and, and, and a true prophet of God, as well as the fact that obviously, if they're telling you that Jesus is coming and Jesus has come and you have not seen him and you are a child of God, then you'll know, well, that's just, that's not, that's not it. Like, <laughs> you're not that guy, pal. Okay. So that's verse 24. Verse 25, uh, signs 
are not all we should seek. Verse 25 says, behold, I have told you before, right? So he's warned us. Signs are not all we should seek for confirmation of uh, godliness or confirmation of whether someone is of God. Matthew chapter 24 is where we are now. We're going we're gonna to hop over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, starting in verse 38. Jesus is speaking here. Certain of the scribes of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So he's saying that is not the main place where we should we should look for a confirmation of whether someone's of God or, or is doing the work of God. The Pharisees, this is Matthew 16, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, desired him that he should show them, he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered, said unto them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. And that prophet Jonas, of course, he's referring to Jonah, uh, like in Jonah one seventeen, the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, let's go to another passage then in John, John chapter 3, and starting in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus is focusing on the miracles. Jesus doesn't say anything about the miracles. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of course, the whole rest of the chapter is about being born of the water and of the spirit and uh, the difference between being led by the flesh and being led by the spirit and, and discerning these things. So he doesn't say, good job, you recognize the miracles. He says, you need to make sure that you are filled with the Spirit, that you're being led by the Spirit, and only through the Spirit can you perceive the kingdom of God once you're born again. Uh, one more passage on that, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21 through 25. And of course, none of this is to say that miracles are not of God, right? Because obviously, you just read the Scriptures, read the book of Acts, read the whole Old Testament, miracles and signs and wonders are done by God through His prophets or directly all the time. However, these are not the end-all, be-all of how we determine whether something is of God or not, because as it says here in this passage, he's teaching us, he's saying, look, miracles and signs and wonders are great, however, that's not the, that's not our standard for determining whether someone is Christ or whether someone is a true prophet of God. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, the things that God's going to do in order to uh, do his work, accomplish his work, show forth who he is, are not going to be the things that you expect, especially in the flesh in the natural man. He's going to do it in the way he wants to do it, and we need to look for the his authorization, his confirmation on things, not, not oh, that's convincing, oh, that was a great display of power, oh, that was uh, amazing, I mesmerized, therefore, well, it must be true. That's, that's the work of magicians, that's the work of a wizard, right? To just, you know, do some kind of big flashbang, and then everyone's convinced because of this great show, this light show. That's not how God operates. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 12 is another verse that's uh, related to this. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 12, it says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. This is that, uh, in verse 8, it says that wicked be revealed. This is talking about this person that most people call the Antichrist, you know, the beast, the uh, the son of, of th this 
this person who is embodying, who is fully possessed by Satan in the end times, right? It says, his coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. There we see, you know, he's doing all of these things with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. So there's deceit going on in those people who are already perished because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So those who are unsaved, those who have rejected the gospel of Christ, those are the ones who are going to be deceived. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So those not of the elect, those who have not chosen to subject themselves to God's gospel, to live in accordance with the things that Christ has told us, those who have not been baptized in the name of Christ, who have not been sealed and confirmed with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, they have not repented of their sins, those people are the ones that God will send, strong delusion, they will believe a lie, they will be damned. In other words, they're already going down that path, right? Even if they know the truth, but they haven't accepted it yet, if they haven't actually followed through, if they haven't actually subjected themselves to Christ, you know, committed themselves to him in that way, as, as it's mentioned in Acts 2.38, if, if you have not done that, God will send you this strong delusion and you will believe the lie. You will be convinced that this, this wicked one is actually God or is good enough to be God, right? You're going to be deceived by him. And those who are deceived will be damned. Uh, in verse 15, of course, it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Don't be convinced by any of these people that show up and say something different than the scriptures. It will be very convincing. It will be very deceitful, right? They will It will sound really close to the truth. It will sound really good. It, if it is not the truth, if it is not of God, you must stay away from it. You must run from it. Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. Let's jump over there. Starting verse 11, this is uh, at the point when the beast and his prophet, I believe, well, let's let's just jump in here. Revelation 13, verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. So here we see they're working all these powers, signs, and wonders, and miracles, right? And he's causing everyone on earth to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So there's two separate beasts, two separate figures uh, that show up, and one's causing everyone to worship the other one, but they're both working all of these wonders and powers. And he doeth great wonders, verse 13, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So this can be very convincing, right? This is a halt. This calls back to that miracle that God did with Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the altar and, you know, covering with water and the fire comes down from heaven, right? He's trying to emulate the things that God has done. He's copying catting them. Verse 14, deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So he's convincing people through these miracles, through the power, and through this uh, quote-unquote resurrection event that has occurred uh, uh, to the, the first beast where it appears to have died, wounded by a sword, and, he, and then he lives. He's either resurrected or he never really died. And he had power, verse 15, to give life into the image of the beast. So everyone's convinced or um, is, is deceived into making this image or image is to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live so the first beast that the image uh, and, and the second beast has the power in verse 15 to give life into the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed so here we have this whole this system is completely enacted then that most people are familiar with and we'll we'll look at that in just a second with the mark in the next couple of verses and so there's all this stuff going on at once right where this is after the abomination of desolation this is where the beast system is full is in full swing right there is a figure or a 
person who has declared themselves to be God, who has set themselves up as God, who has defiled the temple, who has defiled, possibly, as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, as part of the Mark of the Beast, you know, is defiling the temple of individuals, you know, them being the housing point, the, the tabernacle of the power and the presence of God, of the Holy Spirit. And this is all what's going on, right? So this is what's being enacted. And the things that are going on are signs and wonders and miracles. It will be very convincing. It will be wonderful. It'll be amazing to watch, right? Great. It'll be like the best special effects show you've ever seen, except it will be spiritually enabled magic that is going on, power that is happening. Verse number 16, he calls it all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And I want to stop right here. I may have mentioned it last episode, but I want to make sure I, I, I hit this every time I hit this passage because it is such a misinterpreted, such a misapplied passage. These few verses here, these three, these two or three verses that talk about the, the mark of the beast, the number of the beast, all that stuff, they happen in context of the first beast has died, has been resurrected, and then the second beast gives life unto an image that he convinces everyone to create that is of the first beast. And then this image, of course, is speaking, and then they're killing people who are not worshiping the image of the beast. And then, verse 16, he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So this either happens at the same time or as part of this process of creating these images and of setting up all of these things, uh, this this whole worship system, this worldwide worship system uh, to go under the beast himself, the first beast, right? The Antichrist uh, power. So that's when the mark happens, and that's what it's tied to is worship. It's tied to subjecting yourself to the name and to the number of the beast, as we see here. Thou no man might buy or sell, verse 17, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You see, again, the importance of being under, being sealed by the name of the beast. This is, again, the perversion of, the copycat of, being sealed by the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. This episode, we're not really talking about all that the mark of the beast means, but I just want to make sure we understand all these things, these signs and these wonders will go in tandem with, this. will coincide with this mark of the beast being issued, and they're part of this worship system, worshiping the false messiah, and it's another indicator to the elect of its true origin. So when the mark shows up, we'll know, hey, it's accompanied by these signs and wonders, by this resurrection event, by all of this stuff, and we'll know, hey, that's the mark because it is obviously part of worship. In order to receive it, you have to pledge allegiance to the beast and, and, all, of it, and all of that and accept him as the Messiah or as God. All right, get t- too tied up in the weeds with that. We'll jump back over to Matthew 24, verse number 26. Verse 25 says, Behold, I've told you before. So that's why we're studying this, right? That's why we're looking at all this, because he has warned us about these things. So when they happen to us, when we see these things, we would not be deceived or taken unawares. Verse 26, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. So this is still some of these, these false prophets and, and Christ's talking about saying Jesus has shown up. There's a lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 26 there, that word desert. Uh, behold, he's in the desert. Like, he, he's let's go out here, let's check him out. He, that means like a waste place, desolate, solitary, or wilderness. Jesus had already visited this place and had achieved victory there. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and following, and then Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, this is the, the event when Jesus is taken out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, is tempted by by Satan himself, overcomes these temptations, and is ministered to by the, by the angels, Jesus has already won in the desert place. Amen? He has already gone there. He's not going to show up there again. That's not where he said he's going to come back. It's interesting in Revelation 12, just as, an, as a side note, Revelation 12, verses 6 and verse 14, we 
see the woman that's chased by the dragon in Revelation 12. She's protected in the wilderness. It's the same word, but it's not described as the place where Christ returns. So it is a place that the woman is able to escape from the dragon, but it is not a place ever depicted as where Jesus shows up when he comes back. Another thing to note is this word for desert is eremos. It's related to our term for desolation in verse number 15, that abomination that causes or ends up in desolation, eremosis. It means despoliation or desolation. So it's the same root word for that word. So it's this idea of a place that is desolate, a desert, a wilderness. Don't go there thinking, well, Jesus, someone told me Jesus showed up here in the middle, you know, in area area 51 or whatever. <laughs> Jesus is not there, okay? Jesus is, is not going to show up that way. Uh, that word for secret chambers there where it says... Um, Let's see. Let's go back here. Verse number 26 again. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. So this is the kind of places. And you may hear people saying these things specifically, of course, since Jesus said these specifically. uh, My impression is that these are are, uh, ideas. These are the types of things people will be saying. Look, he's over here. Look, he's over there. Uh, He's out in this kind of place. He's over in this kind of place. What's interesting, though, is that one of them is a desolate place. It's solitary. It's in the wilderness. It's far removed from civilization. The other one is the direct opposite. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, right? That's a place. uh, It means a dispensary. It's tameyon. It means a storage chamber, a closet, or a storehouse. So it's inside of a house. It's inside of a protected place. Uh, Luke 12 verse 24 mentions this, 12 verse 3, and then Matthew 6, 6. It's a place where they would, like an inner closet, an inner room, almost like a, a safe room in a house where you would keep all your valuables and your goods, right? Your, uh, whether it was your grain or whether it was your actual, uh, your jewels or whatever it was, this is the kind of place where you would store those things. But that's not where Jesus is going to show up. He's not going to need to be hidden or need protection when he arrives. He's not going to come through out of Narnia in your closet, in your wardrobe, you know, in the back room somewhere. In verse 27, we see how does he actually come? For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the sun of man be. So the turn of Jesus Christ, when he does show up, again, hearkening back to verse 23, uh, it will be unquestionable as lightning itself. The word here means glare or bright shining or a sunrise. You know, we get this depiction from the east to the west. So that that brings with with it the idea of a sun, you know, coming the sun coming up out of the east and rising in the sky and then going over to the west. It's obvious to everyone. You can see it. It is not questionable. It is not going to be, well, maybe that's Jesus. Maybe that's someone or something else. There'll be no question in your mind. He will traverse the whole of the sky. He'll be, he'll be depicted, uh, or not depicted. He will show up and he will be there for all to see. No questions asked. Everyone will know who it is and what it is. Uh, in in the book of, I believe it's the book of Isaiah and in the book of Revelation, when he does show up, you know, there's weeping and mourning. Everyone, when they look up and they see this, they're going to go, oh no, this is it. This is what the prophets prophesied. This is that time those Christians were talking about. This is the return, the much uh spoken of return of Jesus Christ. Of course, we'll be talking about that more in more detail next week in when we talk about verses 29 through 31. But Jesus is letting us know ahead of time that up until the point when he actually returns, there's going to be all these false prophets, these false Christs, these false teachers, and they're going to be working signs and wonders. There's going to be the mark enacted. There's going to be all this stuff going on, right? And none of it's going to actually be him. It will all be claiming to be him, or at least claiming to be God, claiming to be in the position of or in the place of God, but will not be God himself showing up. And you have to hold out you have to wait, you have to be patient, don't let yourself be deceived, don't follow after all these signs and wonders and miracles, because we don't, we know that those things are not going to be what actually is the depiction of his, uh, his arrival. It's not going to be what actually tells us, hey, Jesus is here. When Jesus is here, you don't have to be told Jesus is here because he's just there, right? He's in the sky, blazing forth, he's covered in clouds. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I can't, 
express enough how overwhelming this moment will be. No person on earth will have any question or any doubt in their mind. It will be you will be incapable of not understanding that this is the God of the universe showing up in the sky to wage war against his enemies and to rescue his own elect and his chosen. It will be undeniable. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention. Just another fun little footnote, verse 28, again, another verse where uh, you hear all kinds of people trying to pull all kinds of crazy interpretations out of this. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So I went in and started studying this verse and started, I actually ended up looking into the uh, the, the Greek grammar of this. And what's interesting is it's a figure of speech called an ep- epiphonema, or epiphonema, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but it means an addition of conclusion by way of exclamation, and, or it could be called a paroemia, which is a proverb or a common saying. In other words, it's, this is the kind of phrase you add to something as as almost an afterthought, but it's to put a a it's almost like a grammatical punctuation to something you just said, right? And 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 the the closest English equivalent I could think of as I was studying this was where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, where when we say that, you know what that means inherently. I don't have to sit here and explain it to you totally. If you do think about it just for five seconds, you'll be like, oh, that makes sense. Where there's smoke, you track the smoke back to the source. There's fire there. It's an extremely similar phrasing here. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. In other words, there will be evidence of these things happening, and it again it will be undeniable. And you can just track back where the eagles gathering. There's the carcass, and you'll know, hey, this is something that's going on. It's likely referencing Job chapter 39. We'll jump over there real quick. As far as this actual proverb, it doesn't seem to be a an oft-stated proverb or saying of the time. However, uh, in Job 39 verses 27 through 30, we see a similar similar talk here. Job 39, starting in verse number 27. Doth the hawk, excuse me, 27. Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth in the rock upon the crag of the rock in the strong place. From thence she seeketh the prey and her eyes behold afar off. Her young ones also suck up blood and where the slain are, there is she. So there you see where the slain are, where the carcass is, where the dead ones are, there is she, there's the eagle. Uh, now it could possibly be slightly, slightly deeper meaning. Um, I think I referenced in an earlier in one of our earlier episodes, that this could be referencing, there's a passage in Revelation, uh, I don't remember the chapter off the top of my head, but where there that angel calls out for all of the, during the day of the Lord, while this battle's happening, or, or, or immediately after the battle, the this angel calls forth all of the eagles, all of the, uh, the carrion of the earth to come and to eat all the carcasses that are gathered up because of this great massacre, this great uh, killing that has occurred because Jesus comes and slays all of his enemies. You know, the great battle, there's Jerusalem, all this stuff going on in Armageddon. Uh, and so it, it's possible it's referring to that. And then again, some people will take this and then and then run with it and say, well, the Eagles means that it's America and blah, blah, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I don't I don't know that for sure. I have not been shown that uh, by God and I don't see it carried out in the text itself. From everything I could study and everything I could determine, this is, it, it's an important phrase because he's, he's again, he's putting a capstone on what he just said. He, he said all these things. He says, don't, don't be deceived. I won't show up until you know I show up. And by the way, where there's smoke, there's fire. Like he's kind of saying, okay, this isn't really that hard, right? This isn't that difficult to understand. Basically ignore all the stuff, ignore all of the nonsense, ignore all of the flash and the patter and all of this business that's going on. Because when I show up, I don't need business, right? I don't need someone sitting there and convincing you and working you up to the fact that that I've appeared. When I show up, it's going to happen. It's going to be there. You won't doubt it. You will know, and it will be the fulfillment of everything you've ever desired for the return of Christ to be. 
that is the end of this section here, false Christ and false prophets. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it at the top, but this is also paralleled in Mark 13, verses 21 through 23, and then in Luke 17, verses 22 through 25. And of course, this was Matthew 24, 23 through 28. Next week, we'll be going over the return of Christ uh, in Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31, and see what that means. And uh, if you're antsy about the timeline stuff, we're going to be getting to that in a little while. I may go ahead and do a timeline episode where we're kind of summing up the things we've seen so far in the passage after uh, the return of Jesus Christ, before we talk about the parable of the fig tree, since those things are a little less concrete. Um, either way, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Eschaton. Please leave a, a like or a comment. If you see this on YouTube, subscribe so that you can catch the newest episodes. Uh, if you see this on Facebook, please share it with someone or anywhere. Please share it with someone. Or if you see this on the podcast feed, if you would, please go to our podcast uh, information on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Uh, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, then that really helps all the algorithms catch up with who we are, what we're talking about, the fact that this is a biblical podcast, the fact that you can find information here. If you believe other people would benefit from this information, from this study, then share it with someone that you know who's interested in these things. And I highly encourage questions. I highly encourage uh, criticism. I highly encourage people to say, well, you know, what I've seen this passage actually means thus and thus. I would love to hear that stuff because, you know, iron sharpeneth iron. And if if it's a Christian brother who's showing, you know, something God showed them, or they have heard a different interpretation that is a little, is contrasting something that I've said, I'd love to hear it. I like to dis to discuss those things. So please leave that in the comments on YouTube or on Facebook if you see it. And uh, as always, thank you so much for listening and God bless. You are listening to your apostolic radio at a church radio.